You're listening to WYDG Gaming Radio. Now listen to me, brother man. I'll tell it just so you can't understand. We got a whole lot of more discovering. Don't act like you know how to know in the universe. You can't flow from the first to the next verse. You're a manifest of the effect of a cause. Without a man, but you're not a lost cause, brother man. Now hear me out, sister lady. Keep hoping for the sun when it's being rainy. You have a special kind of responsibility. The ability to channel out of entity. Tap into a sacred symmetry. Grown foster child into infancy. All my sisters out there with powerful souls. Keep your love strong. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to AV Underground, the show where we talk to you about what it's like getting started as a content creator. I'm Josh Needham. I'm here with my co-host. MJ Watson. Hello there. And we are joined today by our guest, Josh Foreman. Josh, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Actually, this is the first time I think we've had two Joshes on one show. It's the Josh episode. Wow. Josh Oh, We're going to have to figure out who's the best Josh. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give that to you. You've got a lot more uh, time in the field, I think, than I have. So. Yes. That be, <laughs> you can be Josh Numero Uno, and I will be Josh Numero Dos, and we can go from there. But uh, so to start things off, uh, give us a little bit of uh, back history and your your creative background. Sure. Uh, so I've been in the video game industry as an artist and designer since around '96. I've worked at five or six companies, depending on how you count a company, and uh, the last 14 years of which I've been at ArenaNet working on Guild Wars games. Uh, that's my, that's my career there. Um, and then my side hustle slash platform building slash dreams for the future, uh, revolve around having a, a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel. Uh, I teach art and design. So I have a lot of tutorials on YouTube and I'm currently in the process of moving stuff over to Twitch. Uh, primarily sculpting and design oriented stuff and in the future i'm moving into world building story development and that kind of stuff because i'm developing this whole this whole fantasy world uh called tales from talafar and uh have uh, i've got a co-author working with me we've written 10 books in the series so far and we're working to publish our first trilogy hopefully by the end of this year that is amazing also very ambitious i appreciate that it's a lot of stuff it is a lot of stuff and actually i wanted to ask you like one of the main things that i thought about and i know watson and i were talking about it a little bit before the show is where do you find the time because <laughs> um, i know that's uh you know both both of us work a day job and also work on our own stuff on the side and you've got so much skill and talent going into like your youtube content creation uh i can't speak for the novels yet because i haven't had a chance to read them because they haven't been published, but oh, I will. They're amazing. I will once take, they're there. Take my word for it. I, I will take your word for <laughs> it. But between like your sculpting videos are just mesmerizing. I it's not something I ever thought I'd get into. And sitting around watching them, I was like, I didn't. I look at the runtime duration as most millennials do, and go, Oh, I'm not sitting through this whole thing. But then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, you're just sucked right into it, and it's like, Oh my god, I could go on for hours and hours. And it was it was really it's like I guess between working a professional career where you're a designer and then also having things you're doing on the side between YouTube and Twitch and writing novels and everything else like do you feel like that cuts into like your family time or do you have it pretty well balanced out Well I'm able to do a lot of my side stuff on the couch with my wife while we're watching TV or whatever so uh you know and I take I make sure I take a walk with my wife most days and that both my kids are grown ish 
so there's not a lot of uh, kids stuff that I'm having to deal with anymore. I, I think what happens is when you have kids, everything in your life gets compressed so hard so that the margins are so slim that once that pressure starts letting up, you're thinking back, man, in my early 20s, what was I spending all this free time on? And so just perceptually, I feel like I have a ton of time. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I was thinking about that a little bit with uh, before I went back to school. And it's probably not as as much of a compression as, like you said, with raising children. But I know before I went back to school and I was like, I, I had pretty much most of my days were free, but I didn't do anything. And then went back to school and I'm like full-time school, full-time work, sometimes three jobs. And I'm like, and I still found free time to do things. And I just think you think back and you go, where, what did I think I was doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Well, one thing, one thing I, I have never been for 20 years is bored. So, <laughs> which that's great. I'm hoping I can say that 20 years from now, just, I wasn't bored for my last 20 years of my life. That's goals right there with, yeah. With all this stuff that like, cause we just ran through everything that you've been doing with all the stuff that you're growing, like we've been talking, like perceptually you feel like you have enough free time, but you're obviously doing a lot. How one of the common themes of our podcast is like when to, when to know when to go full bore into something and when to know when to step back. Do you have any advice on like when, when is the right thing to like, when you have all this stuff in front of you, when is the right way to like, or right time to just back away from it and take a step back? So what I have to offer is strictly theoretical at this point, uh, <laughs> because because um, I have a video project I've been working on since 2010. It's called the Cutscene Subversion Project, and it's going to be amazing. Take my word for it. Um, <laughs> Always will. But, <laughs> you know, I, I have this world that I've been world building for almost 20 years. I have uh, just there's there's just layers upon layers upon layers of not quite finished projects. <laughs> um, one thing that helped me become sane in the past couple years was recognizing what my values were as a human, what I want to propagate into the rest of the world. And and then I was able to parse, analyze the projects that I have going on and say, okay, now I can now I can triage these and make a priority list. I can decide what is going to be my long term, you know, this is this is what I want my future to be. This is what I want my descendants to be proud of me for. Yeah, that sort of thing. And so for me, that came out to be this this uh, world, ta the Tales from Talifar series. You know, right now it's books. I hope it to someday be TVs and movies and games and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that is what I'm trying to move everything towards. It doesn't mean that I'm not also working on my backlog, but it means proportionately I'm trying to make sure that I'm respecting what my values are as a creator and make sure that that, that is where most of my energy is going. So to me, it sounds like it was really a matter of like, like you said, prioritizing the right things and finding your right focus. Did you think was it easier? Was it easy to find that focus or did it really take like maybe a few years or a lot of different projects to really discover? No, this is this is what I really need to get into. Yeah, so it's definitely a process. I think I think the process of figuring out what your values are is actually a kind of a, a lifelong process. It's not yes, something that, yeah. you know, is a, a sudden epiphany on a mountaintop. <laughs> and now I know. <laughs> we um, all wish. If only it were that easy. 
But I mean, ironically, that's exactly what I did with my with my sons. I decided to create a new ceremony, a new family ceremony, because because our culture doesn't have coming of age ceremonies. And I was researching them and seeing how psychologically uh, helpful those are for people. And so I decided to just come up with one. I'm a designer anyway. I do game design. So I came up with a very game design-y coming-of-age ceremony where we climbed to the top of Mount St. Helens. And we had rocks that represented the various values that, that I, as a father, hope to hand down to them. And it, there's just this whole rigmarole. There's a video about it on my YouTube channel if you oh, want to check, check that it out. out now. But, but basically... <laughs> That process was a forcing function that made me think through what are the values I I want to pass on, you know, and I, I put a limited number. I was just like, let's go with 12. And so that that just helped winnow down and force me to, to really focus. And, and, and I think that process that that's been going on over the past, I don't know, eight or nine years, probably. Um, but coming up with that list was super helpful yeah. and i couldn't recommend that more to people to to sit down and really think through like you know how am i contributing to the world what gives me joy that is also helping others you know just 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 go through that and uh yeah it's an amazing process yeah no i i, I definitely agree with you there because like for me obviously you've been doing this a lot longer than i have but i started content creating for i've been content creating for like five months now and that's honestly been the biggest issue with me is figuring out the biggest focus so that that is very important what you say the whole, just even if values of life or content creation, like really getting a list together of what you want to focus on or what your values are is really, because yeah, like I said, it's that's been the number one issue for me is what are the right thing to focus on? Because I usually end up discovering, eh, maybe I shouldn't have been focusing on this. Yeah, for sure. And different things, like opportunities will arise yes. to experiment and try things and see how they fit into that value system. So yeah, I'm still constantly getting sidetracked here and there. Um, but I think I've gotten better at deciding, is this something I want to pursue for longer than, you know, a couple days or a month or something like that. So bringing up the, um, the coming to age ceremony that you were talking about with, uh, raising children. And I actually want to know, cause a lot of people I think that are outside the creative community, uh, kind of have a misconception of people that are in the creative community that maybe, you know, you're a reclusive type person. You don't spend time with your family or you don't do this. How, how, how do you feel that being an artist, a writer has impacted your parenting and kind of made that better? I don't know that it would, it made it better. It is just, uh, that is what I do as I create. I'm always creating. And um, the more I can be inclusive with my family or even just physically near them while that's happening, the better, right? Um, well, here's an example for my son's graduation this year. Well, it's coming up in three weeks. Uh, we're going to be doing a trip around all of the Western U.S., just going to all the national parks and stuff. And he's getting into video production and that sort of thing. So we're going to bring our cameras. You know, I got some some cool gear and we're going to go out and just make make a little indie film sort of thing. You know, we'll, we'll travel around for two weeks in all these exotic locations and we'll have amazing footage and it'll be a, just a cool just a cool project that we're doing together. So. Yeah, trying to be inclusive, um, and yeah, the, there. But there's always going to be that stress of like, especially because my art studio where I'm doing messy stuff with chemicals and mold making compounds and stuff like that. It has to be. It can't be in the house. It's got to be in the garage. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I'm. I'm always. I always have that amount of tension. Like, how long should I be out here? Should I? You know, 
How long is this project taking me? When do I cut my, uh, just cut my losses? Uh, for me, that turns out to be almost never. But, you know, theoretically, that could happen at some point. Well, that's awesome. Send your, uh, send your son our congratulations on his graduation. Great. Well, that's uh, no small feat, to be sure. So I want to step back a little bit and ask, because you've been in the game industry for, you said, over 20 years, 22 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get your start in the industry? Was it something you always wanted to do or did you kind of happen upon that and then it evolved from there? So uh, I've been a gamer since I've been alive. The, the <laughs> <Yep>. first, game <laughs> I, I, <laughs> first game I really remember was a Space Invaders cocktail table that my dad had got. We lived on an Air Force base in Japan. And what they tell me is that the arcades would just throw their uh, machines in the trash if they malfunctioned and then and so servicemen would go pick those up you know repair them and then sell them on the cheap so (laughs) in my home i had a space invaders cocktail table um and i remember crying playing uh so hard before school that i was in tears that i was so frustrated um so yeah that 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 is it's just kind of in my in my general dna uh the legend of zelda was the first time i ever felt like this is a this is a world that I am in as opposed to just an activity that I'm doing. And I think that's really what set my course, what fired my imagination. And uh, I had no idea that making video games was a thing. I thought those are all people in Japan making those things. So when I graduated high school, uh, the closest thing I could think of was making animatronics or sets for, for movies. And so I went to the Art Institute of Seattle, got a degree in industrial design, and um, it was almost as I was graduating that that I realized, because I live in Seattle, oh, there's people who actually make video games around here. And that's when I started getting serious. You know, my, my first job was, was building a remote control car that had a rat built over it for a full motion video game. Uh, it ended up getting canceled, but it, that was that was at a just like this quirky workshop that would do all sorts of crazy builds. And then after that, I got a job filling in the the ink and paint was the was the job, and I was filling in pixels for uh, kids character games at a place called Humongous. And then it just kind of kind of built from there. Wow, that's color me jealous. I wish I had a Space Invaders cocktail table in my home. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I still had it. Yeah. Uh, when did uh, when did sculpting come into it for you? Because like watching your sculpting videos, you obviously know what you're talking about, at least enough to make me feel like I know what I'm talking about, which is great because I know nothing nice. about when it comes to sculpting. Uh, so yeah, when did that it's, start? it's like that Bob Ross effect, right? Where you watch it is like, just going to say could that. Do that anyone could do that. You just you just dab the brush there and you <laughs> tree, yeah. paint some happy little trees, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so I started sculpting pretty seriously in my, I don't know, early teens. Um, and before that, even my, my mom got me some, uh, Cernet, which is another kind of polymer clay from Germany. Uh, and I started making little D and D type figures and, and, uh, I, we lived in Alaska for a while by a place called in, in North Pole, Alaska which is ironically not even in the Arctic Circle. But they have a Santa Claus shop there, a tourist trap. And so I was building <laughs> earrings and necklaces and stuff of moose and Santas and that kind of stuff. And that's where I started really honing my skills and trying to figure out how to do it professionally. 
as going back to the Bob Ross, this is just a quick comment, but I do want to say I got, I kind of got the similar Bob Ross comparisons when watching your sculpting videos, because I will say you're very inviting because I'm, I'm like Josh, I'm a creator, but I am certainly not an artist. And I certainly don't know. I certainly don't know how to sculpt, but when I was watching your videos, I was just like, oh, wow, no, I can, I can sit here and learn about sculpting for a little bit. Yeah. So I just, the Bob Ross comparisons just remind me, you're a very inviting person when you're describing your artwork or describing your process. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I really enjoy teaching. I get that from my dad. Yeah, I, I could definitely, I could, by watching your videos, you're, you just the inviting presence. I can see that you very much enjoy teaching. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to know, cause where you, so you, when you said that you work with um, arena net and doing stuff for guild wars too, what is it that like, you're already kind of your profession, your career is in the creative field. Do you think that itself, or do you think it's something more with you that you kind of have this drive to still do more outside of your your actual career? Uh, I think I think like a lot of creators, um, whenever you're working on a team, you're not calling all the shots, and so you're making compromises all the time. And so when I'm in my garage, I'm not compromising with anyone. I make exactly what I want, right? Yeah. So I I I love collaboration. I enjoy it, but the, yeah, there's always that kind of egoistic part of you that is like, oh, if I could just tweak this one thing, it would be perfect. Yeah, no, I definitely see where you're coming from with that because I've had some chances to work with people in groups on like film projects and that was a lot of fun. But again, like you said, you're not, you're really not calling all the shots. Whereas working on my own brand, my own stuff, it's just kind of, I can, I do what I want to do and I see what works, what doesn't work. And okay, yeah. cool. Do you and well, and also getting back to the, to that values thing, like when you're, when you're working with just a random team of, well, random is not the right word, but a, a diverse team, such as a big company like ArenaNet, uh, everyone has all these different values, all these different motives, et cetera, et cetera. And so how much of my own values get imbued into the work is, is minuscule. So again, getting back to that proportional thing, like how much energy am I expending of my life towards something that's propagating my actual values that I think will help humans, right? Did you have something else? Oh, no, I didn't I, want to I, cut you off there. No, no, I didn't. I, he answered what I was going to ask. Oh, okay then. <laughs> so, um, hopping over really quick to your, your novel series. So you said you've got a 10 novel series you're working on. Um, yeah. is it's the novel series that you were saying you were going to, was that what you were crowdsourcing to build the world? Yeah. Well, in a sense. So the idea is, uh, I've got, a, I've got a couple ideas that make this, I'm, I'm just going to call it an, an IP, even though it's like super businessy, whatever, but it's way shorter to just say IP. So yeah. this intellectual property that, that I'm developing, um, the, the two unique things about it are a, it's a, it's aesthetically a fantasy uh, world, uh, but it's mechanically uh, a science fiction because my idea is to make everything scientifically plausible. And that is a crazy limitation to put on yourself as a designer and a, and a creator of, of any work of fiction. Um, but what I've found is that it yields incredibly original results. You know, when I started thinking, oh, I want to make a fantasy world, I'm all, you know, I started in the template as the vast majority of people do, making just a, another copy of D&D or Lord of the Rings, right? It's like there's orcs and there's giants and there's this and there's that. Um, once you start adding filters to that, you can start getting original. And, and the filter that I found was the most interesting to me was scientific plausibility. How do you make a giant creature actually plausible that, you know, it wouldn't 
break down under its own weight or sink into the mud, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that sort of thing is, is really fascinating to me. And because of that constraint, there is no possible way that by myself, I can know enough about science and biology and geology and, you know, everything that you need to know to do this sort of thing. So yeah, the idea is I want to crowdsource that. I look at all the flame wars that go on in comment sections under, you know, when people are debating things about Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Marvel movies or whatever. And it's like, there's all that energy that the general public has to, to uh, explain how a thing in their favorite IP works you know, why it works, why it's not a contradiction to this other thing, you know, and, and they will bend over backwards to do this stuff. And so my idea is, hey, let's take that energy and try to focus into an IP that will actually react to that kind of thing. You know, George Lucas doesn't care. He's not going to change Star Wars because, you know, a parsec is not a unit of distance, right? Um, or it's not a unit of time, it's a unit of distance. Uh, whereas hey, I'm, I'm just putting this out here. Hey, guys, I've got this idea. Uh, tear it apart. <laughs> Tell me why this doesn't work. And nothing nothing fuels that kind of nerd uh, passion like, hey, tear this apart for me. I, but I really want to change it and make it right and make it, uh, you know, plausible. So anyway, that, that's my one big innovation. The other innovation I want to do is a... Um, all media that come out in the Tales from Talifar IP is consistent with every other piece. So you're not going to have a video game that has nothing to do with the movie, that has nothing to do with the novel, that has nothing to do with the comic, etc., etc., right? Everything is canon, which requires building my, my company, you know, a company will be required to make this happen, uh, but building this IP in such a way that it's it's organized around this this mother brain sort of thing where everything goes into a repository, uh, everything is checked against everything else. It, there's a huge technical side to this that I'm not even uh, close to being able to solve. But once I get the right people, I think it's a solvable thing, and I think it's the next evolution in in uh, multimedia IP. So I'm really excited about that. Going going into that because with building a world like that and like crowd and crowdsourcing it out to the world or the internet, obviously this is another theme that we talk about the podcast. How do you? It's not all. I can imagine it's not always positive. So how does someone like when you're building a world like this? How can how do you take negative or even like just just criticism in general? How do you take it towards what you're building or is that just that's just the general idea? Anyways, the criticism isn't what's important. It's what these people are saying and what I want to change. Right, so I have a, uh, I think it's just my personality, my disposition is such that I don't take things personally. I, I recognize that there's a certain amount of acerbic people in the world. There's a certain amount of mentally uh, ill people in the world. There's a, you know, there's a certain amount of very immature young people in the world, and all of those are getting thrown into the mix in a comment section. <laughs> and so I just, I literally, I can't be hurt by what people say. I just, <laughs> so I guess I'm in a unique position there to be able to take feedback very constructively. I, I'm able to parse the the actual usable feedback from from whatever other potentially painful <laughs> content is in those messages. <laughs> Whatever, whatever the pain of the internet might bring you today. 
Yeah. No, I, I find that's a very useful skill to have, too. I, I had taken like a voice acting class, like a quick workshop for a day. And one of the main things that they said is like, you need to be able to take criticism, no matter how constructive or not constructive and find a way to, if possible, make it constructive. So I've tried to apply that a yeah. lot, like, and especially where you're pretty much opening it up and saying, here's my work, here's what I want to do, tear it apart, tell me why it doesn't work and how to fix it. And we can make it better as a community. Yeah, and, and having worked in video games for so long, I have a lot of experience dealing with you know, game developers are called everything under the sun. We're all liars, oh, yeah, we're all lazy, yeah. we're all incompetent, we're all greedy, you know, et cetera. Like every decision we make is clearly based on, you know, one of the seven deadly sins. And so <laughs> it's just it's just par for the course for me. It doesn't bother me. Like I know who I am. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Uh, it's just, yeah, you roll with it. That being said, with that particular project, are, do you have any fears with it? Any fears? Uh, I wouldn't call it a fear. It's more just a, a curiosity. Like, will I be able to pull it off? Will the technology be there? Will I meet the right people who share my passion and my values at the right time to do this kind of thing? Uh, but it's not a fear. I, do, I don't, you know, I... I will work as hard as I can to leave the best footprint on the world as I can. And whatever the world provides to, you know, to go along with that. Great. Whatever it doesn't. Great. I did my best. It's a, it's, uh, it's more of the improv. I feel with like content, you have to have a, that kind of mindset. It's just, you, you have an idea a vision of what you look for, but you also have it, like the world's going to give you what the world gives you at some point. I just feel yeah. it's, it's the correct mindset to have with what you're doing with both this industry. I didn't have a question, Josh. I don't know if you were throwing oh, it Oh, okay. Me. No, I was actually going to ask um, if you have any advice because we've talked about before the imaginary pressures of content creators yes. that are just starting out and feeling like you need to have your hands in everything possible. You need to be a master of everything you touch. And you need to be learning everything you can. You seem like you have a pretty good <laughs> handle on having things pretty well balanced, knowing what you're focused on. Uh, do you have any tips for people that are like stressing out like, oh my God, listen to this guy. He's got so many things going on and like, I want to be there, but you know, maybe I, I just turned 18 and I'm trying to figure everything out, but I can't master everything all at once. Like, how do I, how do I not murder myself with stress <laughs> on my way to get there? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I think, um, the, in, in general, what I've learned just through necessity, uh, not through wisdom is that in order to get good at anything, you're going to be really bad at it for the first while. And that, that change, that's different for different people. But just accept that your first attempts at things are going to be bad and that's okay. It's, it's about the learning and then what you take forward to the next iteration. So, I mean, I, I uploaded my first video to YouTube in 2007. And it was, you know, old, old movies that I made in high school and I re-edited them and made them even more silly. Um, and, you know, no one watches those. And that's fine because it was, I was learning to upload files to a video platform, you know, and, and it was content that I already had. So looking, looking for ways to just kind of, um, I, I guess I take the pressure off myself by just admitting the first thing I do is going to be bad. The second thing I do is going to be half as bad. The third thing I do is going to be a quarter as bad, right? And eventually it's going to flip around and I'm going to start making good stuff. So that's yeah, how definitely. I um, also, I wanted to ask, cause I've had quite a few points of things that I've tried to work on and you know, you always have way more ambition than you have the actual potential to accomplish. 
going forward. Yeah. So that's why you kind of have to prioritize. And I've definitely had a handful of, you know, projects that I've talked about and wanted to do. But when it comes down to it, either I don't have the ability on my own or with the people that I have, the technology is not there, whatever the issue is. And I kind of have to have that sad moment of like, I have to bench this for now and either go back to it later or not go back to it at all. But trying to continue pushing forward on it isn't going to be useful. And I, I'm sure within the game industry, you see that every now and then when projects get dropped or canceled or what have you. Do you have any advice for, um, well, first off, do you ever feel like upset when things get canceled or something you've been working on? You realize like, I can't continue with this. I need to put it down. It's only hurting me at this point. And how do you deal with uh, with the aftermath of that? Mm, that's a, yeah, that's something that i've dealt with a lot um <laughs> it's does it get easier uh, i don't know if it does i mean be, because there's two ways you could approach it you could just try to be cavalier and and mercenary about about the work that you do and just say well i'm just looking for an roi on this you know as, lo as long as i get back more than i put in uh it's fine and sometimes if investments don't work out and but you're not going to be creating groundbreaking stuff with that attitude. So you kind of, you have to put yourself out there and you have to uh, expose yourself to the potential for pain like that. And I think, I think again, going into that with that expectation, I think, boy, expectations are just so cornerstone, I think, to, uh, to the way I live my life. I, I find that um, by not expecting much, if anything, I am continually pleasantly surprised more often than I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, so, so I recognize when I start a project, I recognize I'm investing myself emotionally in this. I'm super excited about it. Uh, and I know it could blow up in my face and I could lose it all. But I know that going in. And so the times that it does happen, maybe I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little less shell-shocked. Do you, um, with all that going on, like with the pressure of it all, do you ever just experience flat out burnout with what you're doing, with, like what you're looking at? Like, I just can't look at this any longer or I'm going to throw my head through my laptop. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever just, do you ever get that? And how do you deal with it? Or do you not get it at all? And how do you avoid it? Uh, I think that's one of, one of the benefits. There are many drawbacks, but one of the benefits of having 20 projects is that <laughs> if, if I get tired of one, there's 19 other things I need to be doing anyway. So yeah, it doesn't, I have not experienced burnout. Oh, well, I would say, awesome. cause that, that's because that's been the number one thing I feel for newer content creators. It's they throw themselves into too, so many projects and like the, even the one they're focusing on, they'll just be like, I can't look at this anymore. I'm so frustrated with it. But it's another way to look at it where if you give yourself enough to do, you won't get burnt out creatively. It's I, it's more of a getting burnt out mentally, but staying active creatively, I suppose. Yeah. Another thing I think that helps me is the fact that, um, because I have so so many things going on in my life, I also and, you know, and I need to be spending time with my family. Yeah. And there's there's <laughs> another thing on top of that, which is I need to be current in my industry. I need to be playing the latest games and know what's going on, right? And so that like there is actually a requirement that I spend time having fun. So <laughs> maybe that is part of like even when I'm having fun, it's still part of my job. And, and so maybe maybe having that siloed, it, it is both the stress reliever 
and it's part of my job as well. I don't know. Maybe that helps in, in some weird, like, alchemical way. I'm not sure. Oh, no. I mean, that's that's another thing we talk about is when when to know when to just relax and have fun with something. And I feel... It's Hopefully a, you don't forget how to relax. Yes, yes. It is a, it's a very important thing that I feel it happens to a number of people that they, they do forget to have fun, even with the things they're working with, like you are. Hmm. Another question for me, um, I find... Every now and then I'm in one of those like hyper focused moments where I, I could probably be doing everything I want to be doing all at the same time for some reason. And but of course, the the backside of that being sometimes I wake up and I'm so overwhelmed by like the things that I have to do or the things that I want to do. And I can't really find and what I end up finding is that as the day goes on and I'm like, I, oh, I have like a million things I want to do today and it's going to be so exciting. But then I get so overwhelmed with it, not knowing where to start that I just don't start. And it gets to be the end of my day. And I'm like, I did nothing I wanted to do. Uh, do you have any advice for, cause you've got obviously got a lot of stuff you're working on to being able to pick something that you're, you want to be doing or knowing like, okay, I'm going to start here. And if this isn't what I want to focus on, I'll move to something else without just letting yourself be like, Oh, I have a million things to do. I need to, I should just sit and do nothing but sit on my couch and I'll just watch like the first uh, few episodes of a show on Netflix and eventually binge the whole series. Right. Right. Uh, okay. So I think what I am subconsciously doing because I have so many projects and, and they're all in different States. Um, if I'm having energy issues and I just, you know, sometimes I get home from work and I'm just tired. I don't want to work on anything, but I, you know, I have commitments like every single day I'm going to work on an illustration for tales from Talifar. That is just a rule I have because I have to be making progress. I have a co-author. I need to honor her 10 years of work that she's put into it. You know, so I, I have all these, these things. What I find is that once you start you know, you force yourself to take the first couple steps, then the, the exhaustion goes away and you're, you get in the flow state, right? So I have projects in various states of disarray. What's, what's the thing that has the most bite-sized thing that I can just mentally say, that'll just take five minutes. I can just do that real quick. And then by the end of those five minutes, you're like, oh, I feel fine. I could totally do this other thing now. So I, I think, I think that's, that solves that problem for me. That's actually some pretty solid advice because I find my biggest issue is like if I start doing something, I'll continue with it and it's fine. And everything just kind of like you said, you yeah. kind of slip into that flow state and everything just rolls. It's the getting myself, convincing myself to start in the first place. Some days that's just it's really hard and I kind of need to work on like getting over that, I guess. Yeah. I, so look, it's probably look, just for, a look for the bite sized pieces. Yeah. Uh, Got to <laughs> find out good ways to break my things down into bite sized pieces because sometimes it's like. Oh, I want to do this whole project and well, okay, well now how do I break that down though? Cause I'm not going to do everything I need to do in the next like hour to 24 hours. Obviously yeah. I need to, to segment that. Um, actually just a generic question with all the stuff you're doing, how do you, do you have any tips or just how to generally stay organized with all your projects and everything that you have your, uh, every, every water that you have your toe dipped into, how do you stay organized and like just keep everything together and not get overwhelmed with it? Yeah, actually organization is something that I've, not paid attention to until the last probably three or four years um and i, I you know as you get older uh trust me this will happen to you uh <laughs> you start you start realizing oh wow time is a uh, is really precious and i found that uh organizing my physical spaces in such a way that everything is more accessible lowers that that barrier that you know makes things more bite-sized if you will yeah. so f for instance uh you know rather than have a computer off in a computer room 
where I'm not spending time, you know, I'm not physically in proximity with my family or whatever. I set up my computer on two arms and it's on like a swing out table in front of the couch. So I can literally sit on the couch. I swing this arm out and here are my two monitors. I built a little custom made laptop tray that, or not laptop, keyboard and mouse tray that I just sit on my lap. I've got my Wacom tablet next to me. So, so everything is just like, you just go zip, 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 and there it's there. Uh, another similar thing I did in, in bed, I made a little thing for my tablet so I can be editing or reading, uh, you know, uh, Tales from Telefar novels, editing them, that sort of stuff. Uh, just, just that sort of thing in general is super useful. I've, I have this goal that I haven't reached yet to do this virtually where you have the um, I'm trying to think of the, the program that I use, but there's a there's a project tracking uh, program and I, I got into it. I started plugging stuff in, but there's not enough uh, contributors currently to, to really make that necessary. It's just me and my co-author so far. Um, and so but but that will become more relevant as time goes on, I'm sure. That's actually incredibly helpful from from my perspective. Because I think there's this whole school of thought when it comes to creating things or, you know, whether it's like a, a workshop or whether you're writing or whatever it is to kind of seclude yourself from everyone else and like, oh, make sure that this uh, don't put it in a space where you relax or you'll just never get any work done. Never like, you know, keep yourself away from people and yeah, kind of where you where you've taken a, does an extra step to kind of integrate it with your family life so you can, you know, have those two worlds together that. I think that's something I'm going to work on incorporating, actually, because I find that my my head always tries to separate things like, well, am I going to spend time with Annabelle today or am I going to work on things I want to work on today? And it hasn't for some dumb reason, hasn't hit that point of why not both? Yeah. <laughs> so. So. So what I found is like, for, for instance, uh, you know, when we're Netflix and chilling. Well, wait, that has different connotations. <laughs> when, when, I get what you mean, but yeah. When we're literally Netflixing and literally chilling, uh, we're just on the couch and there are there's a category of show that I need to pay my full attention to. But there's like 80% of shows that Heather's more interested in than me or I, I can get by just by hearing it. And I could just do, you know, ZBrush sculpting or, you know, I, I can't really do any work with words or where you have to listen, but there's a lot of other stuff that I can do while a show is on and I'm still spending time. I'm, you know, we're still having pretty close to the same experience. And so that, you know, it's not, is it quality time? No, but it, but it is more quantity of time. Now, another thing I wanted to ask too, cause you do stream twice a week on Twitch slash YouTube. Yeah. Um, is I know when I hop in there, you're usually in the middle of working on uh, a sculpture or a design for something. I've only had a chance to hop in a couple of times personally, but is that, do you have things specific that you're, okay, this is something that I'm going to work on only when I'm streaming, or do you kind of, the streams are a way to integrate your audience, your community in with what you're currently doing in your life? Um, in regards to like sculpting and creating, obviously, it's not so much a vlog as it is a, uh, you know, come hang out and this is what I'm working on. Yeah, it's pretty much that. It, it's this is what I'm working on for the book covers for the books that are coming out, right? But like, but the ZBrush sculpting that I'm doing is going to be 3D printed, and that's going to then be photographed for the book cover. You know, the the head that I was working on in my garage is one step closer to that. So yeah, it's definitely kind of it, it is kind of vloggy in the sense of like I'm just living my life. This is what I would be doing anyway. Uh, why not put a camera on and talk to people while they do it? And uh, that's been really great. I've actually, um, I found that I, I feel like there's a niche that I'm 
in that I, I haven't seen in other places. Um, I, from, from my limited amount of, of streaming that I've seen, I, I have not seen the kind, the specific kind of conversation and discourse that goes on with my, during my Twitch streams, just because I tend to be analytical and philosophical and try to articulate what I'm doing and why I'm doing all the time. I don't see that a lot. And so I, I'm planning on trying to lean into that. I want to start incorporating maybe some deeper concepts. Uh, for, for instance, I came across this poster of cognitive biases that I just absolutely adore. It's got, it's got them all broken down into categories and subcategories and like why they occur and that sort of stuff. So I thought it'd be fun to just like pick one every day and just like, hey, here's something to talk about when no one's chatting or whatever, that sort of thing. So I'm excited about that. I think that's actually very interesting because now that you bring it up and the more I think about it, a lot of people that are on Twitch are, I guess, leaned more heavily towards entertaining an audience where yours is not only entertainment, but like also instruction, like yeah. um, teaching. Because I always feel like I end up learning something when I'm watching like something you're sculpting or something you're putting together or something you're working on. And you do have you're very good at uh, conversing back and forth with the chat and kind of diving deeper into different things. It's not just kind of a bare surface like, oh, yeah, this is just uh, I don't know exactly like what this character means, but I'm, I'm doing it because it's fun and it gets me views. So here I am. Right. So I think there's you definitely have an interesting niche going on there. I also like that you're kind of uh, getting two birds stoned, as they say, with uh, being able to progress your sculpting work and also start up your streaming community. <laughs> Yes, I intentionally butchered that uh, that proverb, but uh, that's, a, that's a good proverb, though. I like that. <laughs> but I I definitely like that because I've had uh, instances where you know I try to do like gaming journalism and things like that, which isn't anything terribly exciting to watch. So I don't stream any of that. I want to stream more entertainment type stuff. But I also, especially with the start of AV Underground as a podcast, like kind of realize that I also like being able to share wisdom with people, which I feel is a lot of what you do in your uh, in your streams as well. Yeah. And kind of what you're doing right now, too. So <laughs> with Great. with all that, with all of us, yeah, with all of us. But uh, with that, actually, I do. Hang on. I have a question here somewhere that. Yeah. So when you're doing something like that, when you're making content, like obviously you're taking the time to stream, like obviously stuff that, you know, obviously stuff you can teach. Is it always been a matter of I'm just going to do my niche and what I want to do? Or have you ever thought about maybe breaking out of the mold for a little bit or doing like one video here, one stream there of like the most popular content to get the views? Or is, <laughs> have you never thought that way? Uh, so, I mean, the more I get exposed to what's going on out there, uh, the the more it occurs to me how foolish I'm being by not chasing that. You know, for, for instance, I could be doing, you know pictures of of other you know i could be making darth vader's and you know iron man's or whatever yeah. and get quadruple the views i'm sure mm -hmm. um i could also be selling furries on deviant art and probably make twice my salary so it's like the, yeah there's there's a certain amount where i'm probably still negotiating where that line is for myself i i think because I have uh, such a fulfilling creative job that also pays well enough that I'm not, you know, I'm not starving for scraps. I'm not trying to turn uh, this the streaming thing into a full time job anytime soon. Uh, I, I I think that takes the pressure off of me to maybe go the darker route that I that I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those things you really got to take like you got to take a step back and ask yourself if this is this what I really want to do just for the views or if like is this 
okay with me because that's always been my thing is like I could start up a YouTube channel like me and Joff talk about and just make Fortnite videos and sure I can get plenty of people to come look at it but is that really what I want to do and like yeah it's all about finding that happy medium trying to figure out like how much you're willing to go with what's current and the big thing and how much you're willing to be like no I'm only going to do what I want to do because at the end of the day that's what's going to make me happy but it's so tempting it's really it really is so tempting because it's just like it's you know it's it's like looking at the easy way out and it's you really got to take that minute of yeah, I don't want to call it the easy way out, but like for a lack of better terms, it, it's certainly easier to do yeah. whatever the current to, to hop on whatever the current trend is. I my guess is that there's probably a long tail effect in there where the more you're constantly hopping from popular thing to popular thing, the the I feel like your churn's going to be a lot higher, and the more mm-hmm. you're authentic to yourself and just being a real person that people can identify with, the longer they're going to stick with you and probably word of mouth you and that sort of thing. So yeah, eh, that's how I console myself anyway. <laughs> Another thing I actually wanted to talk about, do you, uh, as someone who does more, I don't know if long form art is like the the correct term I'm looking for, but I mean obviously sculpting is not something you can rush through quickly. And where social media sites like, you know, Twitter and platforms like YouTube tend to favor the content creators like the Markipliers of the world that can crank out two Let's Plays a day every single day consistently. And you're like, there's no way in my line of work that I can put that kind of progress out. Like it sculpting takes time. Everything that you do takes, you know, time to put together. And then you also have to worry about, oh, well, am I editing this or doing that? Do you I guess do you feel that it's kind of unfairly? I don't know if that's really the right uh, question I want to go for there, because I think a lot of people feel it's unfairly gauged towards people who just have like an obscene amount of time and ability to just throw things out there on the Internet. But uh, I guess what are your feelings as someone who does some like in a slower form of art, I suppose, uh, in a world where everything is just instant gratification? Yeah, it's it's definitely a little bit discordant. Um, But I think I, I think it probably goes back to the niche thing where there are certain personalities that are always going to want whatever the you know flashy thing is they want to see a person grimace and and scream when something startles them and that's just that is whatever that audience is and it's like i could i hop in that space i mean i guess i could try but i don't care about that and i don't and i don't know that those people would care about what i am trying to accomplish or be, you know, what, what I'm really looking for is collaborators, is like people not just to consume my content, but for it to have some kind of impact and then they reciprocate and they say something to me. Like I've got so many incredible, just like new little twists or turns to my ideas through my live streams where someone will suggest something and I'm like, wow, that's way better than the direction I was going. I'm going to pivot right now because that's awesome. And so I'm. that's the kind of feedback I'm looking for. I don't care so much about, yeah, about just making something consumable. I want to make something enriching. Do you, um, do you ever find yourself getting lost? Because I had this moment uh, a few weeks ago where you look at some of the content creators that are just putting things out so rapidly, the, the people that are the platform favors and you just start getting like, as they say nowadays, kind of salty with these people. Like, how dare you be ta- like, you have so much fame and you don't understand the amount of work that I put into what I'm doing or, and if so, how do you kind of guide yourself back into a better headspace from there? <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, I think it goes back to who are they appealing to? And I don't care to appeal to the masses that they are appealing to. I'm looking for special people is what it right. comes down to. And special people are necessarily fewer people. And so I'm okay with that. 
with with collaboration, I feel because like me and Josh always push the measure of collaboration. And lucky I was n- lucky enough to meet Josh in order to collaborate with him. But collaboration isn't always the best thing to do. Well, it it can work out negatively sometimes. And like that's basically my question is, as someone who does a lot of collaborating, do you have advice for people who are like new content creators that are going out looking for people to collaborate with? Do you have advice for them where they should look, maybe resources, or what are some warning signs that maybe this isn't the collaboration you want to be a part of? Uh, so I guess I guess I haven't done a lot of poking in that direction. I, when I'm talking about collaboration, I'm talking about like instant feedback from right. viewers or whatever. Uh, it sounds like you're talking more about like collaborating with other content creators. Yes. R- right. Yeah. Yes. So I haven't done that much. Like actually, this podcast is probably the first time I've actually huh. gone out and said, "Hey, I see an opportunity. I should I should go ask for a thing." I've been on a couple podcasts, but those were always because people just came to me and said, "Hey, be on my podcast." I'm like, cool. So. <laughs> So well, we're, new, we're glad you did. It was the first time I actually had someone reach out to me and been like, hey, you should uh, have me on your thing, on your show. Oh, great. Great. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Glad I mean, I first. find that especially when you're doing something video game related, there's plenty of people that kind of that want to be in on it, but not a lot of people that want to be in on it, but also know the work that goes into it. Yeah. You know, as soon as they find out, oh, this is this is actually a lot. Of, you want me to do work? <laughs> and and then they're just like, maybe, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So uh, mm, yeah. maybe not. So it was nice, uh, someone who's already pretty well established in in the creative industry. I was like, oh, oh, someone's reaching out to me. Senpai noticed me. <laughs> it was one of those yeah, moments. I, I, I think I have I think I have an advantage in that, you know, being in an industry for 22 years, I have quite the network of of incredibly talented people. So I, it's very easy to, you know, if I if I want to collaborate on something specifically, I know exactly who I can go to. And I know that they're, you know, people who have gone through this process and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, start starting out. That's definitely a lot sketchier. Yeah. And like, especially with the changing and like, especially with like the changing in like internet, well, basically the age of social media, I can imagine like network, I don't know if now is networking easier now, or is it, is it more of a risk now because of like with the uh, adage of social media, like internet or how quickly people can talk to each other, how much it's changed? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a brave new world for me. I, (laughs) you know, like I just went to my first Twitch meetup uh thing in seattle there's a there's a seattle open broadcasters yeah. or live broad i don't know whatever it's a, some organization and i went and i forced i forced myself to go i don't normally like to just go into a, a room full of people i don't know and then just yep. like force myself to sit down and start talking to people and and you know I, I i met some cool people and probably some cool things will come of that um so yeah that's that's all part of building a platform that I'm not super comfortable with yet or, or have really yeah. great advice. You know, for, for instance, the way you and I met were on a thread, I think it was Mike, Mike Ruglietta's yes. Uh, yes, it was. was saying, and, and I think my comment was, oh, I feel like I need to be on every social platform all the time and it's overwhelming. And then yep. you, you replied to my tweet, you know, something, you know, don't, freak yourself out that way and that's kind of how, how we connected which ironically it's because i forced myself to be on twitter because <laughs> i feel like everyone has to be on twitter so. yep exactly yeah. uh, well at least that uh, that one pressure worked out in the end i guess yep, so yep. here we are collaborating um so I'm, we're getting pretty close to time here so i'm gonna wrap up i do want to say before we get into the end of it do, is there any advice that you have for people that are just starting out in content creation anything we haven't covered that you'd like to to bring to the table I think I'll just reiterate again the expectation that uh, every beginner in every medium, whether it's sculpting, painting, video creation, movie making, they always think, 
I'm going to make a giant epic thing first because that's what inspired you, right? I'm going to make Lord of the Rings, you know, as a student project. Just, just stop. Just, you're going to do really bad things at first and that's fine. Just do the bad things. It's a process. Absolutely. I know I got caught up in that, especially like, cause I went to school for film and video production. So like that was one of the things I'm like, Oh, I need to make this amazing thing right off the bat. And eventually I kind of realized exactly what you said. Like you're going to make bad things to start with, but keep making bad things and they get better as time goes on. Yep. So in closing, I actually wanted to pose the question to you. Do you have, I pose it to a couple of different uh, guests on the show. Do you have any advice for us for the podcast? based on uh, the episodes you may have listened to or what we've done here today? Uh, let's see. So I've listened to four or five of your podcasts, and uh, y you say you've only been doing them for like five months? Is that for AV Underground, we started up for, geez, this is uh, week 12 yeah. for, uh, for AV wow. Underground. But we've been doing This Week in Gaming, our gaming news podcast, since it's been over a year now. Yeah, and I okay. started my podcast five months ago. My, yeah. yeah, Watson started his, uh, he does Never Made Varsity, a sports podcast. Right, that right. He started up just a little while back. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one, but uh, the the gamers one and then AB Underground, uh, I I think they're great. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a big wide world of podcasts out there. <laughs> the 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 quality, the attitude, the you know general uh, likability, it it all seems uh, really really pro to me. I'm I'm really impressed. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. <laughs> take that to heart so if people want to check out uh if you guys want to see josh foreman on his social media youtube twitch and get in on all that stuff i will have all the links down in the description below the podcast and thank you so much for being part of the show i appreciate you reaching out and and collaborating with us yeah it's been great i, I really enjoy just seeing everyone in every spectrum of uh, you know of the process from the very beginning to heck i'd love to talk to you know someone who's been doing it for 10 years and super successful too but uh yeah it's it's super fun uh get there there's my advice get someone who's been a super you know get pewdiepie on your podcast that's my advice i'll have to reach out and see if he'll even he'll even give me the time of day <laughs> 80 million subscribers. I don't think I even know like 80 million people, like <laughs> not even close. But, I certainly couldn't count to 80 million. I'll tell oh, you that much. Jeez. It'd take me forever. But again, thank you very much. And uh, for everyone listening, we will see you again in the next week's episode of AV Underground. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. AV Underground is a production of YDG Studios and is brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Eileen Hubbard and For Love of Nerd. To find out more about our guests this week, Check the links in the description. Our intro music is 9 to Thrive by Culla. Find out more about Culla by visiting Culla.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Do you have questions about getting started as a content creator that you'd like us to address in a future episode? Send us an email at yadudegamers at gmail.com with the subject line Ask AV Underground, and we just might include your question in an upcoming episode. AV Underground is hosted by MJ Watson and Josh Needham and is produced by Josh Needham.